Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Welcome to this glorious mess, little kids, Mamma Mia's wonderful podcast for parents with little ones under the age of five. My name is Tegan Natoli, and I have. We all know how many three kids, you've got. kids under three. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, they won't be under three anymore soon. That, Very soon. Yeah, they turn three in January I and can't two. We have three-year-old twins. We're I know. Fast, I'm man. so old. That went so fast. You yeah, are quite no, old. Screw how old they are. That makes <laughs> me old. <laughs> well, I'm Lee Campbell and I have a 17-month-old, so I'm practically a newborn myself. I'm so young. <laughs> Only joking. It's going way too fast for my liking. Oh, what are we doing today, Teeks? Well, look, it's a bit of a serious episode today because we're going to be chatting about how we talk to our kids, specifically about death, but in general, all stages of life. I feel like it can sometimes be an uncomfortable situation, a little bit tricky to talk to little ones about death. And You know what's always blown my mind about death? It's the only certainty. You're born and then the only certainty is you die. Yeah. Yet we're so unprepared Fearful. for dealing and with it. And it's made a, to be this horrific thing. Yes. But maybe that's because we avoid talking about it all day long. <laughs> well, that's why I think we should talk about <laughs> it with our guests. Well, we are. Melissa Reader from the Violet Initiative is going to coach us through how we can talk about death with our little ones. And then and of course, we have our WTF of the week. But at first, first, we're in December, which means Big every fat jolly man's on his way. Yes, so oh, and you're going all out this Christmas. I sure right. am. But for a lot of parents, it means having to come up with daily ideas for Elf on the Shelf. Now, look, I'm going to be honest here. I think when the kids were younger, I was like, oh, I can't wait till they're old enough to do Elf on the Shelf. No. And now I'm like, stuff that. I wonder if I can get through one more year of not having to do it because they're only three. I'm refusing to do it flat out. So so what is Elf on the Shelf for parents that don't know? So I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So it's this elf. That is always watching. So he's always watching the kids, but he moves around yeah. overnight. So you've got to find a new spot for the elf. And, and they're not allowed to touch him. So isn't know, that the, the rule? You're rule. not allowed to touch elf on the shelf. I don't know. I, I, we we should have maybe done some research. The good thing <laughs> is this year's elf parents are like getting together and creating this story is that he has to quarantine. <laughs> So we'll put the photo up in the show notes. It's quite funny. But like, I know it's shelf. a stressful time for parents. They're like, why have I done this? Whereas I just am not going to do it. I'm just not going to introduce it. Unless, I guess, do your kids go to daycare or, or school and go and then come home and say, Mummy, why doesn't Elf on the Shelf visit us? Yeah, like, will it become Santa Claus? Because I've got a friend who is like the guy you call when your kids are being naughty and you are, it's, he's either Santa or the police. And you're like, that's it. I'm calling Santa. And he answers the phone. He's like, hello, it's Santa. Is Alexander being naughty? Um, or it's the police. And so I just am going to use him when Alexander's really naughty. Hello, it's Elf on the Shelf. Yeah. Oh, yeah, maybe you could call 
call him? Yeah, look, I don't know because I think the main thing is that Elf on the Shelf has become like book week and it becomes this competitive yes. thing with parents. They like just want to post their thing. very cool ideas on And don't get media. me wrong, I love looking at them, but then I also am like, God, I would never be that good. They could lead up to Christmas, particularly this is a very feminist statement, not always true, but the mental load on mothers and parents because the women are often catering Christmas Day, getting all the presents, wrapping, wrapping everything. Them. Like the dads just get to rock up to Christmas and go, what did I get? <laughs> Bobby. And it's like, well, we got Bobby a trampoline and it's just so frustrating. I remember for the twins' first Christmas, I wanted Jason to put together some little bike Trikey car things. things. Yeah. So that they could wake up to it on Christmas morning. And no, he got so flustered and frustrated, like putting Ikea furniture together, <gasps> that they woke up to one half-assembled <laughs> Car. Thank they God both they both had to try and fit in. They were one and not like four. Exactly. I think you got away. Anyway, with it. hey guys, if you haven't started off on the shelf, don't do it. <laughs> it's a trap. Talking about death is uncomfortable at the best of times, but communicating it to our kids is a whole other hurdle. Melissa Rita, CEO of the Violet Initiative, has been through this firsthand. Shortly after the birth of her third child, Melissa's husband was diagnosed with renal cancer and passed away only 15 months later. Melissa wishes that her family prepared for her husband's death better and her work with the Violet Initiative helps to combat this, preparing Australians positively for the last stage of life. So how do we talk to our kids about death and make sure that death is less of a scary dark cloud hanging over our heads and more so a part of the life cycle. We have Melissa here to talk to us about this. Welcome to the show. Can you tell us a little bit about what brought you to the Violet Initiative and what the Violet Initiative does? Well, thanks for having me. It's great to meet you both. It's actually a journey of my own experience, my own life and story that's brought me to the Violet Initiative. Back in 2009, I was you know, happily married, running a business and raising three little kids with my husband, Maro, and quite suddenly he was diagnosed with an aggressive cancer disease, which just caught us totally unawares, totally by surprise and really rocked our world. And it was a really tough year and a half, you know, for all the obvious reasons, but for a lot of the hidden reasons as well. And one of the hardest things that we found that was no one was able to really help us slow down and make sense of what was happening, Mm. which really meant being able to accept what was happening because, you know, his disease was terminal. It was very advanced on diagnosis, so he obviously went through a range of treatments, but he got progressively sicker and... We just kept finding ourselves in a range of clinical rooms and clinical consultations and more treatments and then kind of the whole alternative therapies option. But nobody had the kind of wisdom to slow us down and and help us figure things out. So we really just barreled through Mm. and it was really messy and it was really hard. We did no planning or preparation and we were really not able to talk about what was happening to him or happening to our family at all. And when I came out of that experience, I just felt like, my goodness, we should have done a better job. You know, it was never going to be an easy experience going through that, but it could have been a lot better than what it was. And How old were your little ones at that stage? My daughter was, I think she was about six and a half when her dad was diagnosed. He died a year and a half later. And then the boys were just two and four, Mm. very young. So very hard to help our family as a whole make sense of that whole situation. And that was really the gap that I started to see in the system, that we just didn't have a way of helping people through that. During that time, were you trying to find that help or it wasn't until once you were through it, you realised, I didn't talk to my children about this or I couldn't explain to them what was going on. Could you realise that when you're in the thick of it or not until you were through it? There are a couple of times where you feel like you're in such a frightening corner that I did reach out for help, but I didn't really get at all what Mm. I needed. I either had conversations with people who hadn't 
been through this so they didn't quite get it in the same way or I got, you know, answering machines. And it's so hard when you work up the courage to reach out mm. and you don't get that immediate response. Yeah. So, Is that what the Violet Initiative does? It does, yes. Yeah. So what we've done is build a, a network of um, what we call Violet Guides who have all been through this and have cared for someone Many of our guides have cared for many, many people and they support families and caregivers as they go through it with all of those non-clinical, just really human needs to understand and accept what's happening in a very gentle and supported way and to be able to do the planning and the preparation and to be able to help families talk about it. In your instance, when there was possibly time to prepare the kids and now with retrospect, you probably have tools that you could have used. What can families do if they do have a terminally ill loved one or family member to prepare these little minds? I think just uh, broadly, it's actually a life stage. This last life stage we don't talk about or recognise, but it is something that everybody who is in a predictable death scenario, which is what you've just described, everyone will go through that, whether they're an elderly, frail person or they're someone with a terminal disease, and it's really hard to accept it but we need mm. to be able to do it's that. It's only guarantee, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> yeah, except when you're in it, it's yeah. so much easier to try and pretend that it's not, you're not quite there yet. Mm. You know, there's still a, a story of, of hope and, and of people getting better or at least staying as well as they are today. But that ability to, to recognise gently that's where things are at, I think allows a lot of change to start to take place. You can be a little braver leaning into some of those conversations with family and with kids, mm. yeah. big kids and little kids. I'd imagine it's a fine line with little ones because they're clever. They join the dots. So if you talk about, you know, someone that's passing away or has passed away and then they think, oh, but that might happen to my mummy. So how do you have that conversation with them and normalise it but not terrify them that everyone's going to pass away, which they are. <laughs> but, you know, we want it to be less scary, I guess, yeah. not for a fearful, everyone. Not a fearful thing. Yeah. yeah. How do we do that? Balance? It always is going to yeah. be a little bit scary and very sad. I don't yeah. think we could ever pretend that we can take that away. But the more that we can do earlier with families and with kids, the better their experience will be of that event. So I think just finding ways to open that subject lightly and gently. It's about preparation, you know, and just planting little seeds in little people's minds about, you know, really what is a very normal part of life mm. and in a language that they can understand. Yeah. It was interesting that you just said that you can't necessarily take away the sadness or the fear no. because it is. And yeah. so I think if we open that conversation, accepting those emotions that do go with it rather than trying to like tread around them, that's a really, really interesting point. So important. And also, you know, as parents, there are some fabulous resources and books around this topic. But at the end of the day, you know your kid yeah. the best. You've got to trust your gut and your instinct and give them as much or as little as you think they need. And that will be different for different ages and, and different mm. characters. Mm, definitely. Mm. In my personal experience since my father's passed, I feel like some friends and even family members don't want me to talk about him. Not that they didn't think he was great, but they think that I'm still hurting or that it's the thing we don't talk about. And you, you speak really openly about your father's death. Yeah. And, and I talk to about some it people a lot. that can be yeah. almost like, oh. I wrote about it on Mamma Mia because it's how I feel close to him and yeah. that's all I have of him left. But I think people are like, oh, she's going to the scary conversation. Did you experience <laughs> that with family and friends? Yeah, look, and I think it's a little bit generational. And I'm with you. I just want this to be a subject that the kids can open whenever they need to or want to. But we have had had examples like my little boy came out with a razor from the bathroom and said, oh, daddy used to use one of these. And I had family there and I could see them kind of just retract into their chairs with Ooh. discomfort. But just trying to say, that's okay, he did. That, that's yeah. a really important memory for you. You know, there are certain toys that my daughter had with her at the hospital when 
when her dad died and they're just precious, precious um, yeah. parts of her life now. Why do you think that people's reaction is to hold their breath just because they don't want to see you and your family hurting or they, they feel like... They don't want like, to say the wrong thing. Yeah, like, it's a fascinating thing. I think it's so much bigger than that. It's just this big, sticky, societal, taboo subject that yeah, we don't we death. don't do a good job. We yeah. don't really have a language that we can share together and just kind of lean into and talk about comfortably. Yeah. So that's a real shame. I think it's something we really need to get better at as yeah. a community. But then it kind of plays out in those very small family settings with those moments of discomfort. I'd love to get your opinion. I always turn this into something about me, don't I? But on <laughs> a my, personal consult. My, exactly. My personal experience. My father passed away in May mm-hmm. and my son was 10 months old. Right. So now he's nearly 18 months old and we look at pictures of Poppy on the fridge and he knows who Poppy is. And I'm just wondering as we go forward, he's going to ask where Poppy is. And we're not religious. We don't believe in heaven. So I don't want to say he's in heaven. But I want to perhaps from this very young age, normalise death as that's your goal. How do I talk to him and not scare him? And I think particularly I struggle with the religious factor because my husband was raised religious. He's not particularly anymore, but he's like, we'll just say he's in heaven. (laughs) And so it's complex too when you have perhaps other people with other views of what happens. Yeah, I can see why people avoid it because it's like, oh, this is uncomfortable and I don't know what to Mm. say. And there's no really good satisfying answer for young kids because it's so unclear and unknown. And I think um, religion has given us that in the past, but that's definitely waning. You know, we're not a religious family either. So we just try to talk again gently to the reality of what Mm. that is. And it's about finding the right ways to remember that person that keeps them alive in everyone's memory. And what to focus on, I suppose. Mm. Mm. Do you have any suggestions with how to honour people's memories that have passed with our kids? Oh, look, my experience with my kids was so interesting. I started off, I think, in the first and second year of, of Mara's anniversary. I took them to the church where he had his service and they did not want to be there. Mm. Yeah. Like, this is a really scary, unfamiliar place. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah. So we very quickly had to figure out how to make that a bit lighter and something a bit more enjoyable. So we fall into yeah. this kind of pizza and cupcake That's ritual nice. on his birthday and on his anniversary. Sometimes we go fishing at spots that he used to love to fish or we go to Stanwell Tops where he also loved to go. And yeah. watch hang gliders but they don't want it to be a sad day yeah you know yeah. I've got videos and of course photos and everything around but I don't want to overwhelm them with that I try and just let them yeah. take that up yeah, yeah. They they take the lead. yeah and I don't think we would want it to be a sad day for our kids you no know? exactly if, if we were the ones you know that had passed we would not want it to be remembered no. as a sad day that's the fine line is that it, it is a sad topic and we want them to it's okay to feel sad but we don't want to unnecessarily make yeah. them feel sad but yeah. they'll feel sad in their own time and in, on the days that they happen to so yeah. one of the things that's worked well for us is a memory box that we kind of went to a big exercise and project around that in the year after Mara's death that we got them each a box, quite a lovely box, and we put a lot of his really incidental stuff in, like his driver's licence, yeah, you know, his scarf, those kinds of things. And so if they're having a sad day, they can just actually go through that in That's their own beautiful. time. It's a real tactile kind of thing. I love that. How did you look after yourself through that? Because you had three young kids and I'm sure <laughs> that you put them first as mothers do. Was that, I mean, obviously that was a really tough time. How did you get out the other side? I can be really honest, right? Of course. It was incredibly yeah. hard. I have a couple of incredible people, my sister and some very close friends that actually were rocks and my dad that got me through it. Your kids, you know, yeah. my kids got me out of bed every day. But I think just instincts kick in. You know, you've got to do a reasonably good job but like 
there were so many days where I was really quite unhinged. Mm. I also had quite a few glasses of wine in the <laughs> evening. I know one of Do my not good not blame you. One of my good friends said, "Look, as long as we can neatly close the recycling bin, <laughs> then we're okay. But if that starts to become a problem, we're going to no, we're going to stage an intervention." Because so. you've got to be realistic, right? Like it's, really, it's how it's to really cope, tough. and yeah. it's actually not just after his, his death that I, I found the period leading up to his death really so much harder I feel like it would be every mother's worst nightmare you know for your partner and the father of your children or the mother of your children Mm. I think especially when you have little kids I can't even imagine Mm. I can't you know your grief to have to cope yeah you know to to have to help these little ones cope while you're coping yourself it would be so overwhelming yeah and they're trying to make sense of just a whole different set of routines in the house and people not being around or their dad was in hospital Mm. so often. You know, they could see he was so much thinner and he had so much less patience with them. That was probably one of the hardest things. He just didn't want to hang out and play and rumble. Mm. And the boys were like, what's going on? That's not dad. So if someone is in this position, what can the Violet Initiative do or where do they go? They can very easily get access to guided support programs, which you can just jump onto violet.org.au and all the information's there to book those sessions really easily. They're a fantastic group of people and they are just wonderful sources of wisdom and help. And it's all free and it's available 24-7. I love that it's free because I think sometimes help in these situations, particularly if it's around mental health, there can be barriers, there can be costs. Mm, can inhibit you for reaching out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there shouldn't be. You know, for an issue like this, it's everyone's issue. We're all going to need this help at, at some points in our lives as yeah. we care for people that we love and know. But we're looking really at the role that organisations like Beyond Blue and Lifeline playing and are building Violet to be that kind of an organisation for the last stage of life. Yeah, well done. It sounds like you're doing an amazing job and really feeling a void yeah. in our it's community. so, so needed. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much for Thanks joining for having us today. Thanks, Melissa. So, so great beautiful. to chat. What the? What the? What the? What the? Parenting? Oof. WTF. WTF. Have you calmed down from your rant? Yes. From last I haven't week. emailed the school no, yet. No, you haven't? I'm busy. Oh, come on, Karen. I'm get on to it. busy mother. What's yours this week? Oh, mine. I want to talk about hair. So I just had my mound and my beard. <laughs> it wouldn't be a TGM Little Kids episode We're all if across I your mound anyway. my mound. So did you get laser? No. Well, I've had laser, yes, but not in my nether regions. But did it grow back once you were pregnant and had kids? Slightly, yes. Yeah. But it's, yeah, hormonal. That's normal, right? Yes, very normal. So mine's like fully back to normal. And so day, you'd had all laser before pregnancy? Yeah, like 10 years ago, mm. but I'd never had any hair in my armpits or my mound. And then after pregnancy, I'm like full-blown back, basically like a full-blown jungle. Oh. Sorry, Dad, I know you listen. The other day I was at the beach and I'm looking at my... my Mound? <laughs> going, why aren't I doing something about that? Yeah. So the other day I went and got laser and now I'm like... Delicious. So delicious. I've not had my virgin laser. Does it hurt? No, well, look, it doesn't tickle. But did you trim it beforehand? You have to shave it like oh. the day of. Oh, yeah, even yeah. in and around and everything. Yep. Oh. <laughs> and then they always go, "Would you like me to do underneath?" Anyway, your hair changes so much after having kids. Like my hair on my head is now like. Kath and Kim perm. The hair on my head is a totally different texture. Yes. It's just weird. And then... Are your feet bigger as well? <laughs> yeah, but did you see my cankles during pregnancy? Yeah, but my feet got longer. Oh, yeah, I think mine just stayed fat. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, why does – I should know this because I host a beauty yeah, podcast. You why are, does your hair go weird? Because it's funny. When I talked on my Instagram about my dead straight hair now having a full-blown perm, everyone that used to have a perm – Has straight hair? Yes. Oh. So they were like, mine did the opposite. Now I have dead straight hair. Yeah, I've got more texture than I ever had. So maybe all the crusts that I ate, finally, because <laughs> I always wanted curly hair, worked. Wow. My WTF, it's just a, like a little lol because I'm a 12-year-old, but I've always thought babies and toddlers are so funny because, like, you know that doll that you can get that, like, poos when you feed it? Do you remember? Back in our day. Back in our day. I don't know if it's yeah. still around, but, like, you could feed it water, water. and it would wee. I yes. don't know if it peed, but it weed. Anyway, I've just always found babies and toddlers quite hilarious because <laughs> once you put something in the mouth, something generally always comes out, like they need their nappy changed or whatever. Yeah. A few weeks ago, Alexander had to have surgery, had to fast. He couldn't drink from 6am. So I woke him up at 5.50 and I was like, hi buddy, you can't have any milk, but let's have some water. So he sat in his cot with his drink bottle and had a big sip of water. And I went and got ready or whatever. I came back. He had wet through his sleep suit, his nappy, his entire mattress or whatever. Like he'd obviously probably had a wet nappy in the morning. I just haven't yeah. changed it yet, but it was like extra water going in must come out. Like it just pushes the next. Yes. And they are a vessel. <laughs> they're just such a little vessel. Whereas I feel like, cause we hold our bladders yeah, as an adult, so true. We, that we like, okay, I need to go, but I won't. But they just are like, Oh, I'm full. <laughs> Done to Done. the brim. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God. And we had to be at the hospital at 6.30. So I'm like stripping. Obviously, I was going to change him anyway, but I'm stripping his bed, like washing this oh, mattress protector. And that's like a whole 10-minute procedure. Totally. But I was like, it's so funny. They're just something in, something He's out. out. <laughs> it's and like a pipe. I'm obviously not at toilet training yet, but we'll teach him that later. But it was a bit of a lull to me. I was like, you're on my real life doll. <laughs> You literally put the Yeah. I put the water bottle in and it came out. Oh, we're 12 years old. If only you could just leave them there and then no. Totally. For they a could few just days. lie in the corner and nothing bad. Happens. Oh, there you are again. I want to play with you. Yes. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us today. And don't be shy. We love hearing from you. Connect with us during the week by joining our Mamma Mia Parents Facebook group, which I have been, Takes us in I've been checking it out. I've been making an effort. And if Facebook isn't your style, <laughs> you can always send us an email at tgm at mamamia.com.au. Leave us a message on the pod phone 028999386. And we would also love to always hear your WTF moments of the week to make us feel less ranty, carony and... Mounty. <laughs> Mounty. Yes. This glorious mess is brought to you by Mamma Mia. This episode is produced by Eliza Ratliff and Michaela Floriano. Have a beautiful week and see you next time. Say bye, bitch. Bye, 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 bye. See you. Sorry. I got distracted. See you soon. Can we leave that in? That's funny. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.